0: Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, Editor at Australian Brews News. During the recent Good Beer Week in Melbourne, the Cryo Malt Trade Hub at Beer Deluxe was once again a focus for the brewing industry, with a number of important trade discussions taking place. Thanks to Kegstar, Brews News was able to be there to record some of these panels, and we are proud to present these discussions. This panel, hosted by Brews News, was a timely discussion about product recall, including the importance of, and how to plan for, a product recall even though it's an unlikely event. We look at the issue from a retail perspective, as well as the potential legal and financial repercussions for brewers. This panel was locked in before we learned of the Independent Brewers Association's plans to release a food recall information pack, and it's timely that we release this podcast now to coincide with the release of the IBA's valuable guide. Our panel featured Richard Crowe, Head of Production from Stone & Wood, Dermot O'Morda, Quality and Sustainability Manager from Endeavour Drinks, Julian Barclay, Senior Associate at Ramsden Lawyers, and Justin Williams, Managing Director, Corpshore Insurance Brokers. I should add that Justin didn't take the opportunity to give himself a big plug during the panel, but he had told me afterwards that his company is developing a dedicated, comprehensive insurance package for brewers that he says will provide significant saving on insurance in those important areas. We will share details of that when it's available. With a serious topic such as this, I'm not sure that saying enjoy the conversation is appropriate, but it's a valuable discussion that I'm sure you'll benefit from.
1: Morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you very much for coming along to the Cryomalt Trade Hub here at Federation Square at Beer Deluxe for Good Beer Week 2019. My name's Pete Mitchum. Uh, I'm also known as Professor Pilsner. I'm one half of uh, the radio duo, uh, Radio Brews News, um, and it is my pleasure to welcome you all here. Thanks very much to our very good supporters at Kegstar for sponsoring this panel. A lot to get through, so without any additional further extra or added ado, it gives me great pleasure to throw the mic to my colleague and uh, co-host, star co Matt Kierkegaard.
0: Thanks very much, Pete. And thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Good Beer Week is a very busy week uh, for everybody and uh, so we appreciate you giving uh, a little bit of time to join us for this very important discussion. Um, Now, Brews News, uh, we do like to say that beer is a conversation, um, but there are some conversations in this industry that can be a little bit harder to have um, and recalls is one of those. And the the idea for this panel came from the idea that uh, over the last 10 years, um, the the craft brewing industry, or the last 15 years, the craft beer industry has moved from uh, being the garage band to playing stadiums. Um, and with that, there are a whole lot of uh, changes of mindset that have to come about. And uh, we have seen some unfortunate uh, situations over the last uh, you know, months and, and years where breweries have had issues that have had to be dealt with in, in the marketplace. Um, and sometimes you get the feeling that that's not given the uh, seriousness, uh, not in terms of quality, but the repercussions for what can happen if an event happens in in trade. And also uh, breweries not knowing what to do uh, when it happens, how to get on the front foot, but also not fully understanding the downside if you do have a, uh, a withdrawal or a recall uh, situation. So that was the, the background. We're very, very lucky to have a, you know, a panel of experts. Uh, Richard Crowe, who is uh, getting bonus frequent fly miles. Um, Richard Crowe, the head of production at Stone & Wood. Um, we've got Dermot & from, uh, who's the uh, quality and sustainability manager for Endeavour Drinks Group. Uh, we've got Julian Barclay, who is a senior associate with Ramsden Lawyers. We've also got Justin Williams, who's managing director of Corpshaw Insurance Brokers. So what we've tried to do is go from the brewery to retail to uh, the support agencies that can assist you and protect you um, in in, in the worst cases. So I guess, Dermot, the the, the very first thing uh, we we, we might talk about is is there an issue that warrants us talking about... uh, Withdrawals and
2: recalls uh, today. So uh, I'd say in the last twelve months we've been seeing an increase in secondary fermentations, uh, and with the secondary fermentations, obviously in a package, you're talking um, exploding product. Um, it's something. It, it is. A, it's a concern. So there is uh, that risk of uh, uh, customer safety there. It's if you look at the US market, it, we're probably you know about a couple of years behind and. What's happening there is, uh, yeah, over the last couple of years they've been seeing similar circumstances.
0: And, and again, we don't we don't want to point fingers at anything. But uh, you are uh, sort of responsible for quality for this largest drinks retailer um, in in the country across BWS and Dan Murphy's. You are uniquely placed to see what's happening um, in in trade. Um, have you? Did, did, is is there a, a, an issue that you're seeing where products that maybe isn't necessarily getting out of the marketplace, where we are seeing products withdrawn from market, or situations where products should be being withdrawn? Because you, you talked about this exploding packaging. Yeah.
2: So, 12 months ago, uh, this was not this issue would have been uh, understandably we could we could envisage it occurring. You, we know the circumstances that bring it about. Uh, we had no reported incidents. But pretty much from uh, May last 2018, uh, I think we've had about 12 incidences and two of those ended up in the recall. Okay.
0: And I, I, I guess we, we could have a whole panel discussion on avoiding you know, what, what some of the causes are and yeah. uh, avoiding it. And we might uh, do that elsewhere because we really wanted to look at the mechanisms um, for, for managing it because it can happen to anybody. Um, and right. I, I might just sort of quickly throw to uh, Richard Crow for this, because Stone and Wood, uh, Australia's largest independent craft brewery, uh, depending on where you put Coopers into the... Let's not start that discussion. They're big. That's a whole Let's other panel. Let's just say they're big. <laughs> um, but y- y- you guys have had to uh, um, deal with the- the- these issues.
3: Yeah, um, at- uh, the, the example you're probably referring to is uh, in August 2016 we in fact went through a recall process um, and ours wasn't secondary fermentation. We, um, from some trade feedback, I believe there was potential potential risk for some dilute um, uh, cleaning agent to be in the beer and, and in fact that was enough for us putting safety first not only within... The company, but of course consumers. So um, based on that, you know, decisive action, we we move towards uh, a a recall, and that's primarily based on, um, as I say, uh, consumer harm, as opposed to something that might be more aesthetic or otherwise, which would just be a a withdrawal. And um, so through that process, you know, the, the first part was. Uh, notification and working through with the uh, relevant authorities, Food Standards Australia New Zealand, as well as, for us, New South Wales Food Authority. And I think traceability was a key part of that as well. So for us, um, we had some means to understand where our goods have gone. And in fact, at that time, Dermot, I understand we were
2: working <laughs> with you as one of our um, retailers. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I was involved in that. And uh, yeah, I think from traceability perspective, uh, I'd highlight... It was one of the key reasons we were able to narrow it down to just one uh, location within, uh, I think, New South Wales. Um, so, yeah, advice to the guys out here is basically uh, if you're going to know, if you're sending product to market, know where you've sent it. Uh, that will, in the, if the event does occur, you can basically mitigate the, the cost to your business in stock dumps.
1: Just really briefly, Richard or Dermot, when you talk about the traceability, is that through barcodes on the packaging or is it the, um, you know, your printed batch codes or how does that actually work? What's the mechanics of it? Well, it's actually,
3: I mean, it's a combination of things and I think a key part of this is partnership with your um, downstream suppliers. So a lot of our distribution might go through third-party logistics providers as well. So it's a sharing of information batch-wise Barcode-wise, if it goes to nationals and certainly independent retailers, um, the, and I guess it's one of our key findings as well out of the back of not only this recall but our subsequent annual kind of mock recalls is the traceability has its challenges downstream, um, but where we've moved to kind of work through that, mitigate that, certainly has been through partnership, whether it's with the likes of Dermot or, or some of our 3PLs in different states.
1: And just on that, how often do you do a mock recall?
3: We do once a year. Um, so we actually have one coming up in June, so off-peak is probably the right time to do it. Um, and we, we essentially come out with a scenario, um, and there can be a number number of scenarios. It could be allergen-based or something physical in relation to glass or otherwise, or re-fermentation or even micro. Um, and we don't we go in there purposely not quite knowing what it is. Um, we assemble a team that's... Um, our coordinators actually... Ben Summons is a, a MD and we have a bit of a group there and we work through the entire process start to end and we treat it seriously as, as, um, uh, and without fail we always find something to improve on year
0: on year and it's been really worthwhile. And just stepping back on that, you did have the, the, the recall event in 2016. At that stage, did you have a procedure in place to manage a recall or did you develop one subsequent to that? Both actually. We had... We had a basic um, documentation and awareness
3: of the procedure, but there's nothing like stress testing it with an actual recall. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of positives came out of that for us because we assembled a group. There was a um, We really believed in decisive action and, and putting safety first. And, in fact, it was really important for us to maintain that trust with uh, Stone and Wood putting quality first and, in fact, safety that... Um, in everything we do, we did, whether it be through our media um, in relation to the recall, direct contacting with our customers, and we had our road crew actually visit, or would phone them if it was something remote, so there was a personal connection, and there was a key message, consistent message around safety first, and as it transpired, when we retrieved all the stock, we we actually didn't substantiate, um, we had no other samples actually that met that, but as far as we we're concerned, it was still absolutely the right thing to do um, from a safety point of view and morally and um, and certainly yeah, that process to your, to your question, we identified a lot of points which we could improve on and um, we matured as a business as well, but it also was fantastic because we could we scrutinised some of those quality practices we had and in this scenario, we believe there may have been one shift where the shutdown startup procedure may have put it at risk. So we were able to close of um, those pieces and so not only improve our preparedness but internally improve our quality practices. So just really interested on the traceability and the barcode side of things because we're kind of new to the distribution side, but how do you tell where your barcodes have gone? Same barcode goes to every single customer. So how, do you n- how can you use your barcodes to follow traceability
2: to different suppliers? Uh, so and the barcode, I would say, not, you're not using the barcode, you're using your batch codes. So uh, your batch code would be your lot code. Um, some, some brewers actually use a specific uh, identifier that, that will identify the lot, but generally speaking, it's usually the the best, It's usually the day code that's put on the product. That's, what we, that's how we track it. Um, so, if, for instance, it comes out of the brewery, comes into the DC, we'll log it in. Um, what you guys would have is probably a view on when it left your business into our business. We'd then be able to track it into what DCs it went into. And then from there, we've got then a view on what stores would have received that stock in that time period. Uh, because it's a recall, generally you do kind of widen the net a bit because it is around uh, customer safety. And, um, yeah, that's 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 the paramount piece here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, instead of, say, oh, it's gone national, it may only gone to one DC. That DC only serviced maybe X number of stores in that period. Therefore, you just widen it to that point. Uh, that would be your focus point.
0: But I guess, uh, um, just going back to a couple of things that uh, um, Richard mentioned was you, know, you were able to track down the what procedure had happened at the end of a shift or at the end of a shift that may have led to it. When you think of a lot of small craft breweries where it can be a little bit seat of the pants just by the necessity of being a small operation... Um, there is, the th- you, know, you could easily think, well, that's stuff that I'll never be able to do. How, much, how did you guys get the um, skills or get the advice to, in developing your procedures? And how advanced should those procedures be a- a- at the brewery side? What, what's the bare minimum that a brewery should have? Um,
3: it's probably timely, actually, to mention that we've been working um, as part of the Independent Brewers Association to put together some documentation... Um, and Sophie Taylor's been the real driving force behind that I sit on that quality committee as well um, which will actually help everyone and that's going to be something that will be available as a resource to everyone within the next week or two um, but for us, going back a few years and even pr- prior to that there's actually a lot of great resource with um, Food Standards um, Australia New Zealand and also working with people like Dermid there's a practical execution point of view as well um, so we, there's templates in that regard. In fact, um, the IBA we've certainly looked at those to make sure it's all coherent and aligned with uh, that content. And I think there's also an element of ownership where you, for each brewery it will look a little bit different because of the way your internal practices are. Um, and you know we've been through a few iterations now, and as I said, I think we improve it each year, um, and we take the opportunity to revisit. Are we still up to date with the latest best thinking and best practice?
0: Dermot, as a buyer, are you going to hold it against a brewery if they do have a recall or are you going to hold it against them if they handle it badly? You know, do, 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 do you just sort of work on the basis that, well, these things can happen and if it's going to happen, we want brewers to be prepared for it or you know, should, should brewers be scared of coming to you and saying, look, we've got this situation... Or we could have this situation.
2: No. Simple as that. Next question. Okay, move on. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Uh, Again, it's it's customer safety. It's uh, there's a number of reasons, but primarily it is around keeping customers safe. Uh, If it's a withdrawal, it's maybe it's a precautionary, and it's maybe it's just a quality issue. So you're protecting your brand. Um, You know, at the end of the day, we want customers to come into store, buy a product, love a product, and come back again and uh, that's you know, ensuring we've got best quality, safe product on shelves. That's how we do it. Um, Julian, we might throw to you. Just, I-
0: if you can just sort of introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about what you do day to day. You're a senior associate with a law firm. What area do you
4: practise in? Thanks, Matt. So I am a lawyer. Obviously don't fit. I've got the suit on <laughs> the, the, up
0: here. I wasn't going to draw attention to the suits. <laughs>
4: <laughs> He's
1: um, drinking a beer at daytime. Yeah, so. have...
4: We work for a number of brewers throughout... Southeast Queensland, New South Wales, and we've seen everything from you know the startups, the guys who can make that good beer and want to turn it into something, through to the guys who are expanding and you know potentially looking to crowdfund or have some tri- private equity event. Um, as part of that, you know brewers they're very much DIY style people. Uh, what we see is that a lot of things get overlooked or sort of get put to the back burner, and recalls is one of those things where it just doesn't really get thought about. A lot of brewers will essentially say, once the product leaves my, you know, my shed or my, my premises, it's in the market and that's fine. Um, we've, we've seen it sort of go wrong in the, you know, the last maybe year or so, a, a lot more. Um, and that, that's when these conversations start happening. And uh, we, we're, at this, we're at the stage where you know, having a safety plan in place is probably a, a great thing for, for everyone who is retailing beers.
1: So the best thing, Julian, is for all brewers to assume that it's never going to happen to them, but <laughs> at the same time assume it will and be prepared for it.
4: Definitely, just be prepared for the worst. It's, it sh- it's mandatory, so you know, take things seriously because they are serious. It, what
0: is the repercussions? If, if, you know, you, on a quality sense, you get a lot of uh, people sort of saying that Well, you know, once a brewer sends their beer out, it's the responsibility of the retailers and you know, if, if my beer doesn't taste as good... Um, that, that's the chance I take when it goes out. So I, I might hurt my brand from less par beer. But if you've got a consumer, you know, Dermot has uh, said that uh, guys in the warehouse have to wear safety glasses because of the risk of bottles blowing up. If you're a consumer, you've, you're driving home from the bottle shop and a bottle blows up in the seat beside you um, and you get glass and you're like, who's responsibility is that and, and, and where does that you know liability fall
4: yeah great question because it is happening we're seeing more of it over the last six months or so um so just to get a few definitions out there so there's a withdrawal which is effectively where there's a quality issue or you know it's discolored or doesn't taste how the brewer wants it to taste and they bring it back from you know whether it's through the warehousing through distribution so that's that's one thing but then when there's a, a risk to health and safety, that's when a uh, recall happens. And if it's only in warehouses, for example, if it's gone to you know, suppliers, that's a trade level. So effectively, it's just bringing it back from, from these guys. But if it's, if it's hit consumers and it is you know, sitting in a, the passenger seat of your car, yeah, there is, there is issues there. So that's, that's the consumer-level recall. So that's the, the ones that Stone and Wood would have seen a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, liability doesn't shift. It's still with the person who produced that product.
0: So so it sits with the brewer?
4: Yeah, correct.
5: What about the liability for whether it's the actual brewer himself or herself, where it's a product issue, versus whether it's a glass issue or a canning issue from, is it Vizzy, whoever you get your cans from or your glass from? Because it's not always the winery or the, the brewer. It could actually be the packaging itself. I remember Carl... Oh, don't understand, but there's a brand where the glass was chipping into the beer mm-hmm. where it's not really the brewer's fault. They order the glass and then whatever happens from there. So who's liable in that situation? Short answer
4: is everyone gets sued and then the courts work it out. <laughs> Lawy- lawyers <laughs> are 50 paces. A, a, a good lawyer win. will
6: sit everyone in a room, whether it's the bike that bought the cans or the bottles or the brewer, and they're going to sit around a boardroom table and they're going to say, show me your insurance policies and they're going to have a run at all of them. And that's, and that's what, And you're going to need... Even if it's not your fault, you're going to need some sort of level of protection from an insurance sense to indemnify, to indemnify yourself in court. And those legal costs to sit in a courtroom and, and say, hey, it's not our product, and go through the, the process, um, everyone's going to be involved.
0: So, should their first point of call be to their insurer or to their lawyer? Always lawyer. the insurer. <laughs> What, what about with the, uh, the party that actually has the beer at ambient temperature rather than, say, in chill temperature and therefore it's not being stored properly? I thought I'd great. Th- that's a though. great question because we're increasingly seeing people sort of saying... Uh, you know, uh, there was a photo that went viral um, recently where a brewer sort of said, keep it refrigerated, we don't want this exploding, which was o- almost indicating that he knew that there was a problem, but yet he was committing his beers to a system that doesn't guarantee refrigeration.
2: Yeah, I, I, my view there would be, uh, if that's the case, don't sell it. You know, <laughs> honestly, if, if we're in a situation where we need to keep something chilled so it doesn't hurt somebody, um, yeah, it, that's not a good situation to be in. On a, you know, from a, a historical point of view, like, you know, a couple of decades back, we've not had entire cold chains for beer. And if now we have to develop a cold chain for product safety... Uh, we need to sit down and re- rethink a couple of things here because, honestly, it's make well, move well, store well, sell well. So it all comes together. But uh, a lot of that for me is just ensuring we get best quality product on the shelf. If we're at a point now where we're having to keep a beer cold so it doesn't go into a secondary ferment so it doesn't explode. Uh, yeah, w- I w- we'd like to know that. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly. And, that's, and I, I think that's, you know, from our end, it's, that, that is a concerning uh, trend we're seeing. That that's, I don't know if it's more, it's um, becoming an accepted situation. And if it is, uh, I want to flag that it's not acceptable. Uh, and number two, if you guys do have concerns over any of that, just talk to us. Um, and we'll, we'll work something out but essentially it's basically ensuring that you know anybody that comes in contact with the product be it the staff of our, at our store so to your point around the glasses that's just uh, the personal protective equipment there is a precautionary element we use if we are discarding a product that's gone into secondary ferment and then it's basically the person that's purchased the product because an incident we had was a can exploded in somebody's car now there's no fridge in their car, <laughs> so the can uh, was just about probably two weeks near its best before date. Okay, so it's it's had a good life, and guys driving home and boom, and it's a. It wasn't th- a stout, was it? It was a stout. <laughs> <laughs> it was a stout, <laughs> and uh, yeah, to look at the the mess that was left on his uh, the ceiling, and just you know, y- y- it's kind of funny. You can laugh, and but. The scenario could have been he's driving down a motorway and suddenly that happens and he is just distracted and crashes. And that's just, uh, to me, unacceptable. It's, it, it, we can't have that ever.
0: So that, that's from a retailer's point of view. Um, to, to answer Richard's question, um, refrigeration doesn't matter. This shouldn't be happening. From a lawyer's point of view, uh, Julian, what's, what, what's your answer?
4: So consumers in Australia are protected by consumer law. Consumer law effectively says, simplified version, is that consumers are entitled to expect a certain level of a quality from that product. Beer in Australia has traditionally been the, I'll buy a case, I'll put six in the fridge, and I'll, I'll sit the others next to the fridge and they can go warm. And then, you know, a couple of days, chuck them back in the fridge. So that's what a consumer expectation would be of, of a beer. Retailers, or well, these, these brewers who are putting, you know, uh, extra fruit into into cans before... Before selling it off, secondary um, ferment happening, and these cans exploding. Whether they put, you know, put the, the little keep refrigerated caution, all that sort of stuff on the can, it's yet to be seen whether, you know, how that's going to be treated. In in the U.S., there's lots of lots of uh, guys, you know, making a joke of it. They'll, they'll, for example, there's a brewer that has a can that has a TNT logo on it saying, caution, keep refrigerated, otherwise it'll explode. And they say, well, because we put that on there. Liability. That's
0: basically an admission of liability, Absolutely. isn't it?
4: Well, they, they, they say the opposite. They say that because they put that on there, it's liability now sits with consumer. If you can't handle having to keep this cold, don't buy it. Uh, damn
1: it, uh, Uncle Dan's, if you had to pick option A or option B, are you going to go, we're going to start refitting our s- stores with bomb-proof shelving or <laughs> I'm not going to deal with that brewery? Pick one. <laughs> option B. <laughs> uh, Matt, we've got a question down here from James Omon.
5: More of a comment just following on exactly what was said there with labelling. What what consumers... You have to... If you've got a dangerous product, you can get around the product liability by clearly um, providing for that. So, like, I used to work for a water heater company and a storage water heater is basically a bomb. It's hot water stored under pressure and if it's gas, you've got a flame there as well. So, um, it's a dangerous product, so you've got to label it accordingly about where it can be installed and that sort of stuff... Um, cigarette's the same with the labelling. and I hate to mention cigarette labelling at a uh, an alcohol sort of uh, area, but I think what they're doing in the US, if you want to make that sort of product that does have that element of danger to it, then the best thing from a product liability perspective to minimise um, potential liability for the brewer is to have that sort of labelling. And the wine industry also went through this a couple of years ago with sparkling wine because, again... It's stored at two atmospheres. It's effectively a little bomb in glass. And um, bottle shops used to open the um, cases of sparkling with a, with a um, box cutter or a Stanley knife. If you got a, a nick on the, um, on the bottle, it um, damaged the integrity and was easy, uh, easy for it to explode. So the, the um, shippers um, had to have, were changed to have you know, the no knife symbol on there. And also the bottles, people, um, back in the days of corks, um, the cork would, um, if it got stuck, people would use a corkscrew to try and get it out. Big no-no. <laughs> um, and again, the labels, if you look at a bottle of sparkling nowadays, the label has been changed to talk about um, the safety elements of you know, not scratching the bottle, et cetera. And I think that might be for this type of beer... If people want to um, produce it, they may, they may need to think about a different um, labelling. And to say keep refrigerated is not enough because that could be... Per- the consumer might think that's flavour, um, taste-wise. It needs to be emphasised that it's actually a warning um, and, and explain the reason why you need to keep refrigerated.
0: Now, Justin Williams uh, from Corpsure Insurance Brokers. Um, now, <laughs> this isn't a paid ad, but I'm getting the feeling that I should be getting insurance... It, if I'm a, a brewer, and I'll happily take 5% spotter's fee for anything that you uh, do out of today. Um, but if you are an insurer, an insurer and I'm a brewer that comes to you wanting to be insured, do you cast
6: a rule o- o- over my operations to assess the risk as part of your process? Uh, look, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, like any insurance policy, you know, whether it's car insurance, if, you haven't got a, if you've got a bad driving history well, you're probably going to pay more, you're going to have a higher excess, or you might be declined. So if you're running a, uh, a, a um, two-bit operation out the back of your garage, well, I, I, it's unlikely insurance companies would want to get on board. Um, and I think everyone here has a passion for beer, obviously. That's why you're here. But you also want to make money. So yeah, we talk about the procedures in place, and I think Rich mentioned there's a, a booklet coming out which is uh, to help, you know, uh, give everyone guidance on how to operate a business and how to do things professionally uh, like anything you know you all have a passion for beer but I think you all want to make money too from your beer so um, you're having the right procedures in place um, uh, you know that's go- certainly going to help um, you to get insurance and to, to identify your risk and, and, and your business and your income so yes
0: you did say at the start that in in the unfortunate event that there is an incident and somebody is hurt um, they line you know the insurers up and, and get every party, the can maker... The, lawyer, the lawyers do that. The, 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 yeah. the lawyers will do that, but they'll get the can they maker, they'll you. get the brewer, they'll get the retailer and try and find out who's responsible. Um, if, if you're a, a brewer, um, you know, with a relatively small operation and you're not insured, are you just going to be... They're going to sort of say, well, you're not worth chasing um, or are you still going to be in the firing line? And
6: Well, you're always going to be in the firing line, yes. Um, and if you are a smaller business... Um, and you're not insured. Well, then there's no insurance policy for the third party to go after. You're going to have to go bankrupt. End of story. I mean, you, you you lose everything. And whether you've had to finance things, your house, and those sort of things to run your business or to put money into your business to make it happen, that'll go as well. Unfortunately. So, but but off the back of that too, you can also safeguard those sort of things by having a good lawyer, by by having things set up in trust, um, and and you know protecting your interests. Uh, and values that you put into your business, so that all then starts at, at i guess um, the, the initial stages when setting up companies and trusts and those sort of things is, which is why you're, where a lawyer will will set those things up correctly but look if you if you have an insurance policy um, and you 're sued uh, and you 're litigated against that policy there will indemnify you, and that 's why that 's why you want to have it so if it does happen, you can continue to operate and trade and and, and whoever's suing you has been indemnified and they're going away and whatever else and you can continue to do the thing that you love because you know you're all you're all beeries you're, all, you're here because you you love beer and it's a passion so you want to keep doing that and the last thing you want is to have an incident and have to pack it all away.
7: G'day guys uh, my question is probably more around um, what happens to the brand when something does go wrong um, and how much of an effect do you see that with the consumer, does, does the, do we need to change consumer behaviour around how beer is stored at home? You use the example of um, putting a six-pack in and leaving the rest of the case out. What do we need to do as people who are involved in the beer industry to help um, negate p- particularly, I guess, I guess, that more of a heat problem in the future? But, yeah, more, what does... Um, I guess
6: probably a good question for the guy from Stonewood. What's, what happened to the brand in 2016? If I can just quickly... Sorry, sorry to, if I can just answer it in my terms, yeah. in, from an insurance aspect... I can't answer that question on how you you know you can you can rebuild your brand because if something happens and you send a product out and it's faulty and it and it's not right and it hurts someone, it is that is bad news for your brand absolutely. So um, how do you how do you um, repair your branding? I, I don't know, but there are guys that you can engage, you know, um, PR guys that can do that, that, that will rebuild your brand and you can ensure that. So if you had a product recall insurance policy or, or similar, there are um, provisions and sublimits within that policy to say, hey, look, here's a couple hundred thousand dollars, go and get someone from your PR agency who do this stuff, who will rebuild your brand and those sort of things and, and you can ensure that. So all of a sudden there's a couple hundred thousand to throw at a, at a, at a PR agent and they can rebuild your brand.
3: And I think... Um You know, one of the things to consider is that this this has been done really badly and really well, and I think a really badly executed recall, which is at the worst case, it's a mandatory recall. It's taken out of your hands, and it's essentially saying that the Food Standards Authority will otherwise take control of the whole situation. That would almost um, imply that you know there's some negligence on your behalf. So, going back to our situation, um, we look. Back on it as a you know a positive experience I suppose if you you want know, to take the silver lining out of these things because what we endeavoured to do was maintain a level of trust that had been worked hard over many years to establish particularly on quality but safety trumps quality so we um, I think indecision would be a bad thing and and what and that's really underpinned by lack of preparedness um, uh, and there's a bit of a morality thing because there is costs associated with, with the recall, but if you take a really proactive approach, um, do the right messaging, for us we actually tried to incorporate certainly personal touch points. Face-to-face was absolutely our priority um, or a preference, but if we couldn't do that, would be by phone. And actually by engaging in that manner, were, we maintain some sense of um, personal trust. And you know, in some cases... Uh, you know, we, we understood that there was that potential damage impact, but perhaps there was also some enhancement because they did see that Stonewood took it very seriously and took their um, health and well-being over everything else. Um, but equally, I think, and guys will have other examples, the opposite has happened and played out. I read something recently by Victual a few uh, case studies of
0: recalls that um, have actually almost made companies fold. This is a topic that could have been very open-ended. We were going to approach uh, our good friend Zoe Ottaway from Totem Marketing, who is a branding expert, and so if you want any advice, uh, I would certainly recommend you you look at those those implications. We really wanted to sort of keep it much more to the to the, the, the practicalities. But is this something that we are going to see more of? Um, my, I've got a 17-year-old daughter. I know I don't look old enough to have a 17-year-old daughter, but she's studying law, doing first-year uh, torts and... In, in, in my day, we learned about snails in um, bottles, and I can't even remember the case. Donoghue and Donahue Stevenson. Stevenson. Um, but in in, in a, a Torts case, the fact situation that they were given was that there was some glass in a craft beer bottle, um, and she messaged me straight away quite excitedly because uh, <laughs> that's, craft beer seems to be in the space, that it's, it, it is pop culture and that it is being included in university lectures. Are we seeing um, a, a, a lot of... Uh, are, are we seeing any um, businesses being sued or breweries being sued in, in, in this space?
4: Well, I don't know about being sued directly, but I, we are definitely seeing a lot more recalls happen. Um, so in the last six months, there's been three very public recalls from you know, notable craft breweries. Um, and procedures have changed as a result of, of those recalls. Um, largely, you know, uh, the fermentation issue is, is being addressed by pasteurising. Um, a lot of guys don't like pasteurising. It's costly experience, but it seems to be the solution um, or something similar. I, I mean, I'm definitely not a brewer and I don't have the experience to, to comment on that directly, but, I mean, mitigating factors for, for these type of things seem like the answer. And these new businesses, they're, you know, putting everything into producing that product and not necessarily taking the additional safety steps that are expected of the market.
6: Just a second to that. You, your question was, um, are we seeing more of this trend with people suing and whatever else? I can tell you now, being in the insurance game, some of the claims we see on, on all types of risk are phenomenal. So don't think the Carl Uniteds and the big guys... You know, The bigger your brand gets, the more um, exposure you have. Um, you, there's so many people out there that will do anything for a quick buck. I can assure you, um, at some stage your brand will get bigger and someone will have a crack. That's just what happens. End of story. I mean, we've got a skateboard company and a guy suing the skateboard company because the labelling didn't clearly stipulate that if he stuck his foot on the wheel, he would fall off. And that's a true story. And he's trying to... And no, no damages, he got a couple of grazed knees. Uh, he, he wanted $600,000. It's a no-win, no, no fee lawyer. So you will see these things, guys, I can assure you. And the bigger your brand gets, the more beers go to homes and, and bars and pubs and whatever else. You will have these issues.
0: From Endeavour drinks groups now, uh, you always see in the paper somebody slips on a bit of lettuce in the, the fresh food section of a Woolworths and they want $150,000 for pain and suffering. Does that change... If there is a fear of being sued for something, does that change the business decisions that uh,
2: you guys make when buying? It would. Uh, it, it, it's basically risk risk mitigation. Um, now suppose, what are your options? What, we don't sell craft beer? Um, yeah, that's one option, but that's not going to happen and we've no intent in going down that route. So our view is we work with the industry that we're part of and we communicate the issues we're identifying at our end. So my analogy is it's a, it's a river. Uh, you guys are upstream. We're, we're at the mouth of the ocean and the ocean is the customer. So everything flows down river. The gold and what else? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's our view that uh, we, 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 it's an industry we want to see grow. Uh, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of very passionate people in our business uh, that are connected to the industry that have basically built very strong relationships with a lot of you guys, really love working with you and really love selling your product. And, uh, you know, long may it continue. So, um, we'll share the information We've got an expectation then that, uh, you know, if there is an issue identified and communicated and it is originating from the brewery, that you guys then take the ownership on that and work to resolve it. Uh, We work closely with the Independent Brewers Association. That's information then we'll share with them. Uh, Pretty much all the product complaints, withdrawal, recall uh, info, that's available to that industry group. And uh, I think our view is that's, uh, I suppose, a, a key enabler for a lot of craft brewers in Australia to uh, understand what the potential gaps are because these guys have a full view of what the industry looks like today and some of, them, some of the guys like Stonewood, quite a high level of capability and growing and that's information and, you know, how they got there. They're very open to share how that, what that journey looked like and just basically help you do a bit of a, a gap analysis to understand where you guys sit in relation to these guys and their capability. So, you know, I'd go, uh, HACCP is, we've sent out a letter, uh, I think on Monday, so I'm sure most of you guys have received it today, by this stage. Um, So we're saying, there's a couple of three key items we've uh, called out. So best before code, so we we need the product to have uh, the best before, and uh, gold standard would be, tell us when it was packed on, that's just information for the customer, Customer loves to know when the beer was uh, packed and then when they should drink it by. Uh, the other one was a food safety program. Have one. This is risk mitigation again. It's uh, you. If you have HACCP, uh, it show you know to have a HACCP plan in place. It, it's it, it's it, that's a that's a good uh, responsible food manufacturer. And beer is a food, and you're you're making a food. So to be able to know what the entire end to end process is within your brewery and to identify those critical control points where past that you do not have control and then you've got your flags system set up to say, actually, there is an issue. That's stuff that basically you can use to even prevent pro- an issue leaving your uh, brewery. And if the issue doesn't leave your brewery, it's contained, uh, you're, risk, you're, 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 conti- you're basically uh, managing your risk and you're not getting it out into the marketplace. So you're not doing a withdrawal, you're not doing a recall. And the last piece was uh, have a recall protocol in place. Um, now they're they're all legal requirements, but I think uh, you know our, our view is that uh, a lot of the guys have come from um, you know basically home brewing and have started a commercial business, and you know these are the things we felt that uh, we just it's not we're not pointing fingers or saying uh, this is the issue. It's just we'd like to highlight this is a this is a requirement, and it's a requirement that has a benefit to you and us
0: just before we go to uh, we we do have a hard out time but just before we go to any last questions richard any last uh, comments from you about from a a brewer's point of view um what advice do you give um professional brewers and what should they be considering um
3: you know we focus definitely on the recall process but that is in some ways after the ship has sailed so i would say at least as much energy should be put on the quality assurance pr- processes. And then to uh, Dermot's point about um, CCPs, that's really quality control. So, yes, something may be out of spec, but you've captured it w- within the brewery wall. So, it's kind of three key parts. Once you're talking recall, you're saying it's got through the net and um, it's almost a damage control kind of piece. So, really focus on that quality assurance to pre- prevent or
0: quality control to capture. If you if you're putting your focus into quality, should you bother wasting time worrying about something that may never happen? Yes. I <laughs> think you still need that because
3: um, I think it was pointed out in the audience, there's actually a huge number, it's quite complex, a number of things that can go wrong and it could be something that, um, a material or otherwise, and there's, uh, I don't know if any of us could hand in heart say our quality programs could prevent every single scenario. So being prepared, um, and as I pointed out a bit earlier, going through that, recall process, even developing the document or doing that mock recall, there's actually a lot of internal learning. So it's a worthwhile
0: exercise for quality regardless. Um, Julian Buckley, any last uh, suggestions? You know, we'll put um, links into uh, Justin and Julian in, in, in the show notes. So if you do want to follow up with uh, any of the, the more technical points, um, you'll, you'll be able to get in touch with them uh, very easily. But a- any advice arising from the conversation?
4: Seek advice. Um, jump on the Food Standards website, there's lots of good information on there, lots of templates. It doesn't take much to get these these procedures in place and once they're there, it's a it's a document that sits in your back office and it's something that you, you can rely on and if something does go wrong, at least you have a procedure in place.
0: Even before we get to insurance, and this is potentially a loaded question, should, should a brewery that's playing in this space have a lawyer, even to look at the... The, the, the structure that they're operating under, and those sorts of things, um, to, to prevent the, the worst-case scenario.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Just have a look at the majority of the craft, like, some of the breweries that are going to GABS this weekend. There's IP issues everywhere. Um, there's yeah.
1: You know... And that's a, that's a whole
4: other panel. <laughs> <laughs> so short answer is yes. Like I mean, picking up the phone and having a five-minute conversation. Hey, I want to call my beer. This is there any issues? You know, you could save yourself a lot of heartache. Um, you, know, you can save yourself being sued. Uh, yeah, lots of money.
1: Just, just quickly, while, we, while Julian's got the the magic talking stick, you were talking before, and pasteurisation is a, a whole other other panel oh, altogether. Sorry. But you touched on, you know, the yeah, it's prohibited because of the cost. I'm interested. Um, let's say the worst case scenario happens, mm-hmm. and you're sitting down at that table with the lawyers and the, the what, what's a, a Bare minimum what do you cost? get paid an hour? <laughs> no, but win, lose, or draw. What would it cost somebody to have to, I guess, defend themselves in in their, one of those scenarios that we were talking about before? Just just ballpark. Win, lose, or draw. Without any awards for or against. Just what's the cost?
4: How long's a piece of string? It yeah. it really depends. If there's insurance policies, how many people are like injured or whether it's a death. Um, you know what, the extent of the recall. There's just so so pasteurisation so could actually be when a there's insurance
7: cheaper policies. The lawyers always charge more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> always.
4: Not always.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but mostly. Who said that? Dermot, was there anything, you, uh, anything you wanted to add? So I think uh, it's not about. We're, we're not here to strike the fear of God into you. It's uh, just. <laughs> Is it funny? I'm going to be looking yeah, for an insurance
0: broker on Monday morning. Yeah.
2: No. I. I think really got to. Uh, Understand that, again, it's just about uh, good how to run a business well. Uh, I wouldn't say, oh, don't worry, it's never going to happen. It can happen. It's uh, my comparison would be, you know, if you're on a flight, the guys know how to evacuate the plane. They're not expecting every flight that takes off that they're going to have to evacuate it. But in the event of it occurring, we know how to do it. And like with Stone and Wood, it's the mock recall. It's uh, no pressure. It's basically a, it's a mock exercise, so it's not really happening. But it's basically testing how well your business could respond in the event that you do have to do it. In the event, having worked with businesses that have had to do recalls for the very first time and not that sure, it's it's quite a high pressure, high stress uh, environment to have to work in. If you've already mapped out, and it's a it's a it's a process. Um, it's an end to end process where you're looking to remove the affected product out of the market. So you can actually go step A to Z and understand all the key steps, all the key uh, people and the responsibilities in that process uh, before it even happens. And if it happens, then you just basically press go and follow through uh, what you've been practising.
0: Um, Justin Williams, just before we uh, finish up, last comments from you. Obviously, get insurance is, is, is one
6: uh, without plugging, uh, no. Um, but look, in all seriousness, though, you get see a broker, and I'm not plugging Corpshor. If you might have a broker, see a broker, get some advice, get some quotes. It costs you nothing to get a quote for insurance. Go and get a quote, see what it costs. You know, the old cliché insurance quote is: um, if you can't if you can't afford to have insurance, well, you can't afford not to have it. Because if something happens when you've got a start-up and your product goes out, you need to recall it. it your cost for the the recall, your cost of your cost to remake it and get it shipped out again your, your, your consequential loss i.e. the money you would have brought in from the sales is gone as well so just get a quote it doesn't but, hurt
0: and to be honest I didn't even realise that you can ensure you can get that cost to rebuild your brand like you can sort of get the assisted financial assistance um, involved in that
6: yeah absolutely no, look, and it's about but it's also about you need to build it correctly if you build the right policy you can build all these things in you can have um, withdrawal um problems you can have withdrawal um if if a, if, a, if a client or a retailer withdraws says we want to withdraw the product only because it's it, it, the, the, the packaging might be peeling off and it doesn't look good on our shelves we want it out that's up to them and then it's your cost to to have that withdrawn and whatever else so you've got those you've got product recall and those sort of things as well so just get a quote that's my advice go yeah. and see someone see corbshaw see me after this it doesn't matter who you see but just it doesn't hurt to do it Costs you nothing
2: um, yeah, to that point, for, like, uh, we're talking recalls, but yeah, a withdrawal, you know, from our perspective, there is a cost to our business when we do a withdrawal, or a recall, and if it's a withdrawal, we've had to withdraw stock that's uh, just cartons opening, okay, so store gets a pallet of stock and every carton on that pallet's opening, uh, store staff have to go around and rework the cartons. Now, depending on the volume and uh, I suppose impact, there's the likelihood that we'll have to return that stock. We've had situations where you know uh, businesses have had to pick up uh, 150,000 cartons of beer because of opening cartons. Now, um, that's you know nobody's going to get hurt, but it's a quality issue. Mm. So that that would be a withdrawal. That stock that
6: then has to be reworked. There's a cost to the, bi- the cost to that business. And and, and we've seen similar things. And people say, well, what does that cost? You know what? They probably charge you two dollars a carton or a dollar a carton. So there's two hundred, there's 150 or three hundred thousand dollars that they're going to charge you to fix your cartons or whatever it might be. And that's yeah. you know you, you can insure against these things. Yeah, like
2: if uh, at a cost from our side, so it's uh, it works out usually around seventy eight dollars a store. So depending on how many stores you're in, and then we look at that covers then the work we need to do at a DC, and then obviously just to manage the issue. Now, just before we finish, um, and there will be an opportunity to speak to all
0: of the panellists individually, I'd just like to invite uh, Andrew Hingebotham from Kegstar Up, who made today possible, just to talk a little bit about a uh, logistics traceability has been an issue that has um, come up today, Andrew. Uh, tell us about how Kegstar can help with uh, traceability.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Matt. And uh, thanks to all the panellists. I think uh, today's discussion has been heavily focused around the retail end of the spectrum, but there's a huge venue universe out there, um, that Kegstar can help play a role in putting your hands on kegs and product uh, in the event that um, this situation arises. Uh, the short of it is uh, our tech system, um, when used appropriately and when used properly, we can log on at any given point in time and identify exactly where those kegs are. So they're sitting at a venue, they're sitting at a, a warehouse, uh, they're sitting at a distributor. When the system has been used properly... Um, we can put our hands on that immediately. And so our customer experience team's there to help out with that. Our business managers are there to help with that. But um, certainly from a venue perspective, which is uh, arguably a little bit more complex and a bit more fragmented than uh, uh, putting in a phone call to Dermot over there, um, uh, we can certainly help as one of your partners in playing a role there. Now, while I do have a completely uh,
0: side topic, we are rapidly approaching 1 July the excise um, on containers change. Have you had much feedback from brewers about whether or not they're going to move to smaller kegs or should they be really starting to forecast now?
7: Absolutely, they should start to forecast now. Um, The indicative appetite out there is is quite large, actually. Um, What we've found is that the smaller formats play a pretty significant role in unlocking different channel opportunities, unlocking different... Specialty beer opportunities, limited editions, even awards uh, opportunities there. So certainly it's one for us to pick up at a different stage. We, we might pick up on that uh, yeah. more fully. One um, July, fast approaching, huge opportunity. Wonderful. Andrew,
0: thank you very much for sponsoring the, the um, uh, panel and the podcast today. And uh, thank you very much to our uh, panellists, uh, Richard, Justin, Julian and Dermud and Pete Mitchum. We will be, be putting links uh, to our panellists in the show notes
1: some of the things that have been touched on came up with a a podcast that you and I have been listening to this week relating to to Stone and Wood from a good friend of ours, James Atkinson. James Atkinson, yes. Drinks Adventures. And one of the real um, key points that kept coming up is that the success of Stone and Wood was basically uh, primarily based on getting people to do the things that they knew they weren't good at. And I think that's what we've kind of really touched on today is that if they, oh, but I don't know about this, I don't know about that, like Justin said, it's not going to hurt you, and it's not going to cost you to ask. Mm. Um, but there, it could be potential consequences down the track if you know if it turns pear shaped.
0: Absolutely. And if you would like to find out more about uh, Stone and Wood and, and their their Rise uh, drink Adventures podcast on iTunes, right after you subscribe to Radio Brews News. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Possibly the second best beer-related podcast uh, in Australia at the moment, but still not in the top 30 for um, no, I think well, food yeah, podcasts.
0: We'll, we'll have to talk about that, but anyway. We're, we're but a, anyway, thank you very much to our, to our panellists uh, for, for all of their expertise and advice. Thank you all for giving up a little bit of your uh, good beer week, and uh, please hang around and enjoy a beer. And, and, please, yeah, uh, and Thanks to
1: our very good um, supporters, Hawkers, Three Ravens and uh, Ben Spoke. Grab a, another beer before you go.
0: And that was our panel. Our coverage of the Crime Malt Trade Hub at Good Beer Week was made possible by the generous support of Kegstar. Kegstar owns kegs, so you don't need to.
1: Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at BruiseNews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation.